Welcome everybody to another edition of Coffee and Open Source, a place where we can meet new folks, learn new things, and have great conversations along the way. I'm super excited for my guest because uh, he's one of the few folks that actually get to do open source, I guess, for a living, right? Uh, and I want to introduce Jeff Wilcox. Jeff, do you want to say hello? Introduce yourself. Yeah. Hey. Thanks for having me, Isaac. Um, I'm Jeff Wilcox from the Open Source Programs Office at Microsoft, and I've been here way too long at Microsoft, but learned so much and seen so much of our kind of culture progress, and we're super open today. I'm really happy to be a part of that and really just excited to chat with you because I think not everyone's heard that story. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about the Microsoft open source story because as somebody who works at Microsoft as well, um, it's one of those things where I think internally we talk about it a lot, um, and I think externally we, we talk about it uh, a lot too, but it's all about making sure the right ears are listening, right? I'd, I'd love to you know, kind of talk a little bit more about that. But I want to get started learning a little bit more about you, Jeff. So you know, one of the things that I'm always very curious to learn from my guest is kind of how they got started, you know, not just in tech, but also just with this open source concept, right? Like, do you remember a point in time, you know, maybe it's early in your career or when you were in school, when you came across this, the concept of open source software or, you know, even more simpler, like, code that you can see and code that you can modify to, you know, based on your needs. Do you have a, a memory of that? Yeah, so I, I will say my my open source experiences all happened at Microsoft, which is pretty amazing. Awesome. And very early in my career, I worked on the Silverlight team. <laughs> Ooh, Silverlight. Yeah, um, Silverlight. You know, rest in peace. Um, you know, one of the things we were doing there, though, was trying to build as open of a platform as we could, which was kind of new for Microsoft. And so um, the team I was on, we were very much trying to make all the APIs in .NET available in some open form. And one specific thing we didn't have was a way to basically have all the time zone data in Silverlight. It was not part of the .NET core CLR that was behind Silverlight. So you couldn't do any kind of date time zone math. And so my, my whole first thing here was basically going to the .NET team and all the execs and leaders and saying, I want to steal this code from .NET that Microsoft wrote. I would love to release it as open source. Sure. and we had this kind of back and forth conversation over many weeks about, well, what's the business value of this time zone data? In the end, you know, the right thing happened and we released it. Yeah. I think under something called the MSPL, like the Microsoft public license, oh, okay. it was really early days for us. It was on CodePlex, which is a Microsoft thing. Um, and so all that happened that was exciting, but you know, it was kind of a, an exception or a one-off and, you know, jump ahead several years. And, you know, we had an open Silverlight toolkit. We tried to share a lot of code and controls there. And then in Azure, um, I was actually in the original Azure SDK team, where oh, we open sourced okay. the Azure SDK from the start. And that was a huge deal because um, we basically said, we need to be on GitHub. And our leader understood that GitHub is kind of the future and where open source happens. And so I was part of the team that had to kind of go and work with our executives to say, we understand Microsoft has an open source place, but GitHub's where we want to be. So we sure. want approval to go build GitHub things. And so we actually created, the at the time, the Windows Azure org on yeah. GitHub, that was there even before the Microsoft org. Yeah. And that was kind of the start of us just being open. So kind of a long way of saying, it's been kind of interesting just the openness over the time uh, and how I've been yeah. able to get involved. That's that's really fascinating. There's a couple of things that I think is really cool there. One, Azure SDK, super awesome. I love Azure SDK. I think it's probably since you were on it, it's gone through like, I you know, many different rewrites and many like, you know, reimaginings of what that SDK can do. And I think that's super exciting. One of the things I think that you mentioned that was really interesting is like when you were talking about and when you and your team were talking about open source and GitHub, like Microsoft didn't have a like a GitHub presence, right? 
And now yeah. for, for folks who probably, who might not know this is that Microsoft has like a Microsoft organization. We also have an Azure one. We have, you know, a lot of our individual teams at Microsoft, like whether it be .NET or, or so forth, like they have individual organizations. And I'm curious to know, like, what is that, ex what is that conversation like when you're talking with, you're trying to sell this concept to, you know, to be frank, probably folks at Microsoft that didn't know what, maybe didn't know what GitHub was, or maybe knew what it was, but not really what its purpose was. And obviously didn't understand the concept of like, oh, you mean you're doing like everything out in the open? Like everything, everything? Like, co like code check-ins and everything? Like, what is that conversation? What's that experience like? Well, you know, I think it's really different for every business. If I look, and I can actually pull up an organization chart of the company, and I can see where everyone's releasing open source in the public. Mm -hmm. And yeah. some parts of the company are doing it a lot. Um, clearly, Azure is super open. Um, other parts of the company, they're kind of new and early to it. They actually yeah. ask for advice. And, um, you know, I think you've seen some of the conversations with our open source champs community, yeah. which is just a group of Microsoft employees that they're in open source, they love it. And so they want to share those experiences. and we're actually finding that often we go to those teams that are really new to open source and they understand it, like their leaders tend to get it. Um, the business says, we wanna be open. We just don't know how, we just need some help. Yeah. And so I think a lot of what we've spent the, the last couple of years doing is building some kind of common playbooks and guidance, but also simplifying policy. And sure. so, you know, any big company has policy everywhere. And I think many years ago, the policy was kind of, let's keep things closed until it has to be open. Now, you know, there's really this big framework for how do you be open from the start? How do you do it safely? How do you make people get involved in it? And I think that's great. Um, I think the, the bigger question for teams is, you know, how do we like structure our engineering system or how do we hook up builds the right way? How do we get all the right compliant things to still happen? Like a lot of it's just kind of connecting the right, you know, knobs and, and you know, CICD sure. configurations. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I think just convincing teams that open is great. We don't need to do that anymore. And the bigger problem is helping teams understand just how to like engage with the community. Um, yeah. How do you include them in your standup or your experience for kind of triaging issues? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good point too to call out is that, you know, as we're getting, as the years go by, to use a cliche term, like I think more and more people that are coming into the workforce get it and a lot more people that are in the workforce get it, right? Um, you know, I, I think even to an extent, like a lot of people, they treat like their GitHub profile as their is their online resume, right? There, I, yeah. I have thoughts on that. We don't have to talk about it. But I think one of the the big things is like, there's no better place for you to showcase the work that you're doing because it's it's so easily accessible, right? You just literally go yep. to a web URL and everything is there. Good, bad, or indifferent. Well, I, w I would say on the profiles, that's actually a big conversation we had which was, I think, traditional Microsoft would very much say, keep your work and your personal kind of separate. Yep. Yep. And we were looking at GitHub, it's your coder profile. And you have yep. this commit graph, which is awesome. And so part of our, our first piece of guidance on GitHub really does say your GitHub account is yours. Yep. You are free to use your own. You're free to set one up for Microsoft if you prefer, but you know, just have a professional presence and you know, be your authentic self. Um, and, yep. and so uh, that, I think it's great that we allow that. And the reality is people ask all these questions like, if I choose to leave Microsoft, you know, what happens to my commits? They're still there. It's yep. still on your profile. Like it's part of who you are and the work you've done, which is awesome. And so I'm yep. really happy that like we allow people to do that. Yeah. And, and that leads me to a really funny thing that I always think about. Cause, um, I imagine you do as well. I work with a lot of people who work at GitHub, right. And, you know, with GitHub, like their email addresses are their GitHub aliases, right. Which I think is always really, really funny because, you know, a lot of people, they might not, 
think a ton about what their GitHub alias is going to be at the time, and then they're kind of stuck with it. As somebody who changed their <laughs> yeah. GitHub alias probably a year or so ago, it was not a very pleasant experience because I had to update a lot of stuff. But it's one of those things where, you know, I, I I can't think of like a really really good example right now. But like I've ran across like some some you know people I'm trying to find their email and it's like oh their email is like something absurd at GitHub.com, which I always think is really funny and it shows that like everybody brings their personality when they when they you know your online presence is you have the opportunity to build a personality or a a profile the way you want, right? It might be completely different than like, I guess who you are as a person personally or or even professionally, but like your online persona is something that you can craft completely yourself. Uh, And I'm always very interested about like how people from in open source, they, they adopt this mindset very, very quickly. Like once you get, once you, I feel like once you get into open source, like you don't leave open source hating it. Right. Um, at least that's from my experience. Like, what have you seen? Like, you've been working in this space for a while. Like, what is like when people come in? Like, there's obviously excitement, and then the excitement just got, kind of grows, right? Well, yeah. Uh, so, I, I think one thing that I will say is that some people don't know that it's totally fine to contribute to open source. Yeah. And I think this might be a big, big company problem, but um, really, we have people that have reached out before and they say, "Hey, there's this library, and like the npm dependencies are out of date." Yep. Um, I wish like the project would update it. Like, should I open an issue there? And it's like, no, you should open a pull request. Yep. Like you can go update yeah. the dependencies for them or depend about will or whatever else. But um, I, I think it's awesome that people are starting to get the, get the message like, oh yes, please do contribute. You know, if you're using a library, um, I'm using a library called React Query quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm part of the community, I'm opening issues. I'm, I'm talking to some of the maintainers on Twitter. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, like get engaged, monitor the community and participate. Yep. And I think I, I feel so good about that because I think in the past people just assumed, well, open source is something you use, but no, you participate in the process. Yeah. And that's really exciting. Yeah. And I mean, as somebody who I have like a, uh, I don't want to say it's a well-known, but it's, it's a, it's a fairly well-used uh, uh, utility that I built that's on GitHub called Presence Light. And it's always funny because the first thing that people always contact me for is like, Hey, it would be great if you could add like this feature. And my always response mm-hmm. is like, well, I'm open to pull requests, right? I think it's a lot of people, like even you know, whether it's inside of big tech companies or outside of big tech companies, they they use kind of open source and you know, J- GitHub in general is like a commodity where you come into it, you use your stuff, and then you kind of leave. Um, I, I'm always very curious to know like what your thoughts are because obviously from Microsoft's perspective, like open source is very important and treating it as a commodity probably isn't the, the best way to phrase it, right? It's like, wh- like from your perspective, like how can people best utilize or leverage open source for themselves? Well, I, yeah, I think, you know, th- there's so many options out there. And I think helping people understand how do you pick a great project? And is it a healthy project? Those are really, you know, challenging things to do. But uh, for me, it's like, you know, you need to understand what the value is. Yeah. And the value usually is this entire ecosystem just works. Yep. And sure, Webpack is a little painful sometimes. And, you know, maybe there's some breaking dependency issues and maybe there's a security vulnerability out there. Yep. But, you know, everything works together to make it so easy. And, you know, my, my team, the tools that we build are entirely in JavaScript and TypeScript. Yeah. We build a lot of node things. And it just it kind of blows my mind, you know, when I install NPM packages, just how much is there. Yeah. And we do a lot of work to actually analyze the licenses in those packages. Yep. And... It's just amazing, like the, the amount of openness that's out there, yeah. and so much that people can build on top of. But also, 
you know, I, I only know, you know, the top level dependencies and a couple specific components. There's, there's thousands of projects out there and some of our node things. And it's just amazing to me that it all works together so harmoniously. That's one of the things that I'm always very curious about as well. Like as you know, as somebody who like, I'm not a typical JavaScript developer, but I can, you know, I can write stuff in JavaScript fairly effectively. Uh, I think one of the things that, I, that people always gloss over is just like this huge, like you mentioned, like you mentioned NPM and all the dependency trees and all that. Like it's these things that a lot of people take for granted, right? Like I, I equate it to like a, like a car, right? You might know by name, like what all the individual pieces of, of your car is and what they do, but you only know the top level, like, you know, the engine transmission, whatever. And then there's another layer down of all these things that make up engine transmission, whatever. Right. And then you give it down to like individual parts that make up those individual components. And like, you could never like look at a, um, a particular, you know, piece of metal or a bolt and know like, Oh, that goes, that's for the carburetor attack. Like you can never do that unless you're a mechanic. Right. And it seems like, yeah. you know, people now they have all of this. They, there's a lot of trust with open source, I guess I could say trust that, the packages like six levels down are doing what you want them to do and also being secure, like to the effect that like we've seen a few times where something bad happens to a, a very well-known package that's a, that's a lot of other packages are dependent on and it causes issues, right? Uh, I think it's also very interesting that I think, um, you know, one of our folks, one of our friends, uh, Michael Crump, he just asked a question in chat. So do you guys feel that we are still hurting from the Linux is bad comments, right? Um, I have a personal opinion on this. I would love to know, Jeff, like what your thoughts are. Obviously, Microsoft, Windows, like huge uh, profit driver for our business. But, you know, we do a lot of work at Linux too, right? Yeah, I personally, I don't see that so much anymore. I feel like we've moved past it. And I guess plenty of us remember those those times in the past. But, um, you know, the reality is, you know, so much of our workloads are Linux. You know, everything I deploy is going up to Linux. Like, yeah. it's just such a changed time now that, I hope people realize it's different. Um, you know, I, I don't know how long we've been in this big upswing, but yeah. even when I worked on like Silverlight and these things at the early part of my career, you know, we were going out and using Microsoft procurement to buy like pallets of Macs yeah. and, and machines that you know were running other operating systems. Like we've been doing this stuff for a while. I just I hope people understand that like you know it's a whole different world. But I, I don't think that tarnishes us anymore. Um, maybe it's just my perspective, but, you know, honestly, I think the problem sometimes is that some people just think that, you know, oh, Microsoft's doing their enterprise thing, but what are the cool things happening elsewhere? Yeah. And so I, I just want people to understand, like, we're, we're in it, too. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's a very uh, accurate call out, right? Like, you know, Microsoft, we, we do a lot of work and we're very successful, like catering to the needs of enterprises, right? But as you see, enterprises change, too, like, you know, one example that I always like to bring up is like, the, you know, your Mac versus PC. Like when you first join a company, like depending on the company structure, depending on how the company does it, like they'll either give you a Mac or give you a PC. And some companies are, are they give you an option. Like, hey, do you want a, a Mac or do you want a MacBook Pro or do you want some Dell laptop, right? And I think, you know, it's very interesting because I think more and more companies now, even enterprises, like they have to think about like what the experience is on different types of devices other than Windows for their apps, even though most of the apps that they build are probably web these days. You, you know, desktop is, is a thing still, but the web is where people, most people build stuff. I, I'm always curious to know, like obviously, like working at Microsoft, you're, you, you work in a team that it makes sense, you're given the option 
of a of a Windows laptop or um, a Mac laptop. I believe you're on a Mac, right? I think it's it's interesting. It's like how we can better tell the story that it's not just Microsoft that's changing, but also like our customers are changing too, right? Like if if all of our customers didn't care about Macs, like Microsoft probably wouldn't care about Macs as much, right? Yeah, well, I think it's it's definitely changed a lot, but. Early in my career, like I, I actually kind of pivoted. I, I grew up a Microsoft, a Windows person my whole life. Yeah. In college, I kind of get into using a Mac more. Yeah. And I joined Microsoft. Turns out I knew how to use Macs quite a bit. Mm. And so one of the problems we had in Silverlight was how do we test this entire experience over on the Mac yeah. in Safari? And it was also things like the, the Ajax toolkit, all these things we were shipping for Macs, we just didn't have expertise in. Yeah. So early on, I kind of became the Mac guy around there for a while. And so I think that's really, you know, really exciting. There was a point where all the Xbox development was done on PowerPC. Yeah. And so throughout all of Microsoft, there were PowerPCs like under all these desks. And I remember um, the Silverlight team, we needed more Macs, of course. And so there's a point where we were going around campus and we were like finding all the Macs we could that weren't being used anymore because they were had different dev kits. And we were loading them into our cars and driving throughout the campus. Like it was a lot of fun to like yeah. bring the Macs home basically and go use them. But you know, I think today it's it's super widespread to use whatever you want. You know, I, I've got a PC under the desk here. Uh, I got a KVM between the two. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I feel really comfortable in both, but I spend most of my day now on my M1 Mac, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I'm so happy that, you know, VS Code and TypeScript, all these things just kind of work there. It's awesome. Yeah, I think that's a good call out too, is like, depending on the technology you have, you're more fluid between what devices you can use, right? Like you being somebody who works primarily using JavaScript and Node, right? Like you can seamlessly hop between the two things and you're seeing less and less of that now where there's like i guess operating system lock into the work that you're doing maybe if you're building you know desktop apps or something like that where you have like native os dependencies but like i think i mentioned earlier like when you're building web like you know you can you can do a lot of you can write code on your phone like there's apps that you like you can Mm -hmm. like there's code editors that you can do on your phone i've played around with those a little bit um still getting used to the screen size but i think it just gives you opportunity right where you have all of these tools that exist. And then say, for instance, you want to ship your, your tool or you ship your code somewhere, like use GitHub as a facilitator for that. And then you use something like GitHub Actions or Azure DevOps pipelines. And then you have code that's in that's somewhere, whether it's in a cloud somewhere or somewhere or wherever. But like you, you're not tied to like a, I need to use this particular thing to do this particular thing. We have options as developers now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, plenty of options. <laughs> yeah, and one of the things I think is is very interesting too. Like we've you've mentioned it a few times, and like the the concept I think to a lot of people that might be outside of Microsoft is like, oh, like Microsoft is .NET, like everything they build internally is .NET. You know, you mentioned you were on the Silverlight team, which obviously was was a .NET venture, but like now, like you've said React, you said TypeScript, like you know, transitioning from a more traditional like object oriented .NET programmer developer to kind of more of this, you know, fluid-based, you know, TypeScript, React, JavaScript language of JavaScript framework of choice. Like, how is that, what is, how is that transition like for you? Well, for me, it's been wild because I, I've done it all. Yeah. You know, I've worked on the server-side code. I've worked on client work. Uh, I worked in Windows for a while okay. and all that's native C code, you know, and so it's just so mind-boggling that I've had a chance to do all those things. But, you know, I think it's a great opportunity to kind of challenge yourself. Sure. Um, that said, like if I look at the company today, you know, I can pull up our, our GitHub account and you know, we have tens of thousands of repos and kind of see like what are the languages. 
Yeah. And it's all over the place. It, it's it's so many things. It's awesome that we have those options. You know, Rust is up and coming for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just teams using everything. Um, one of the things that our group actually does inside of the engineering system, uh, we actually integrate into every build that happens in the company. Okay. And so we actually get an automated inventory of all the open source components and packages that people are using. And so we actually store that data in some systems we have. Mm-hmm. So you know, we can look here and say, well, what are the most popular packages? Like what are packages we should invest in? What are some dependencies that are critical that we should think more about? Um, or just, you know, if a security incident comes up or something with a package, we can go figure out where is it used. And so I think that's awesome, but we have so much data about what's yep. being used today that it's it's really a different world than it used to be. Yeah, and when you mention invest, like you're talking about like giving financial contribution to entities that are outside of Microsoft that are working on this stuff, right? Like that's I think that's sure. really yeah. important to call out too, right? Is that you know, Microsoft isn't the only person only player that does this, like a lot of big tech companies do it. But I think one of the things to call out this special about Microsoft is that you know, so much of our work that we do here is based on open source, right? Like we're very dependent on open source as a company now. And I think, you know, continuing to invest in not just the tech of open source, but the community of open source is really, really impactful. And, I, you know, one of the things that I think, you know, whether it be GitHub sponsors or Open Collective or all these different mechanisms, right, where you can, you know, give back to, you know, contributors of projects, like what is, you know, obviously you probably have had lots of conversations with maintainers of projects, right, whether they're, you know, ones that are, I guess you could say, important to Microsoft or ones that are, you know, interesting to Microsoft? Like, what are those experiences and conversations usually like? Well, so I guess one thing I can talk about is our, what we call the FOSS Fund. It's sure. the Free and Open Source Software Fund. And it's actually an idea that started at the company Indeed. Um, they built some tools that were pretty great to kind of figure out where are employees doing open source in public. And the, the whole idea that they had this kind of hypothesis for it indeed was if we can figure out where our employees are working in open source, let's reward them for working in open source and actually let them choose what projects get, get funded. And so they, they've done that. I know Salesforce runs this as well here at Microsoft. We coming up on just over a year now, we've been running the FOSS Fund. And so we actually going out to teams and saying, what's the open source that you feel that Microsoft depends on or our customers depend on? Um, it, it's pretty exciting to like have people kind of have a say So we basically look at all the employees at Microsoft that are doing things in the open. And if you work on projects that aren't controlled by Microsoft, then you kind of get to participate in the FOSS fund process. And so you can nominate projects. You can go select, you know, who's going to win that. Um, Really exciting, really cool. And so, you know, we're kind of taking this idea of, sure, we can go out and we have, you know, sponsorships with, you know, the Rust Foundation and and all these big projects. But how do you actually fund, you know, random projects? Sure. And it seems like the best way is let's go help our engineers have a say yep. in what gets funded. Yeah. And so, you know, we kind of took that open source code that Indeed had, and I hacked a way to kind of customize it to work at scale. You know, we have so many people on GitHub, you know, we, we get rate limited and all sorts of funny sure. things yeah, there. Yeah. But uh, basically, built that project as a way to help people go fund projects. And I think now as we try to figure out what's next, though, we do have all this data of what's being used at the company. And so, you know, sure, honestly, I think Kubernetes is funded just fine right now. It probably doesn't need some GitHub sponsor money, sure. but there's all sorts of parts of that ecosystem that could use it. And so I think we want to take a more data-driven approach to figure out what are the things that really could use the help yeah. uh, and go you know, help sponsor those things. That's a really good thing to call out too. Like, I mean, you take some large open source movement, right? With, I mean, Kubernetes is a great example or TypeScript is another great example, Docker. Like these 
huge initiatives that, to be frank, were, were mostly created by larger companies that saw an opportunity to innovate, right? Um, and then you see kind of the underlying, the next level is community involvement where communities, they, you know, maybe might be smaller companies or individuals or small groups of individuals. They build kind of the framework around like these big concepts, right? And I think that's a really good thing to call out is that like Kubernetes is great. Kubernetes is managed by Google and it's in the open and all that. But like there are all these other things that like Kubernetes, like without them, like these, these third party things, Kubernetes wouldn't be as powerful, Right, like things like Rancher or, you know, sidecar implementations. Like these are things that are like when you think of Kubernetes, they usually think they come along for the ride, but they don't. They're concepts that were introduced by community, and it becomes they're very synonymous with the the actual thing, right? But they're not tied to Google at all. And same thing with like TypeScript. Like, you know, they're of all of these great like projects that people are building and smaller companies are building that are just thought of as an add-in to something bigger when really it's a handful of people that are trying to, you know, better the experience. And I think one thing that really is important to call out is that those are the folks that need the most amplification, right? Like whether it be, you know, sponsorship, which I always think is really important or just contribution, right? I think if you are a user of something, you know, whether it be, open source movement A or open source movement B or a free tool, like more than likely there's a community around that thing of people trying to like better the experience, like go out and help those folks. And I think that's really, really important to call out and I appreciate you doing it. I'm also very curious. Yeah, well, go ahead. We, we actually look, um, so we have a ton of data, of course, that we're always gathering yeah. about things that happen in the public. And one of the really cool views that we have, um, there's like a subpage in the opensource.microsoft.com site where we actually list like near real-time contributions that Microsoft is making to projects out there. Okay. And it's kind of fun to just kind of pull it up and look at it, but it is amazing. Like one of our corporate vice presidents that works in Kubernetes space, like I've gone to the page and seen that this executive coder person is like committing to open source projects yeah. and opening pull requests. Like that's so exciting to see. And like, we have thousands of people that are contributing every month to projects. And so, you know, you know, sure there's good up sponsors, like financial commitments important, but we're actually out there like, you know, submitting pull requests and bug fixes and helping teams feel comfortable doing that, uh, which is really awesome. Um, and so the reality is we have, you know, thousands of employees whose full-time jobs are to do things in open source, yep. which I think is kind of really cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I mentioned, I mentioned it from the, like the get, right? Like you're on, you're in the open source, um, the open source project office, right? At Microsoft. So what does your day look like? I'm always curious when I talk to people that do open source or open source, they work around open source a lot for their day job. Like, what does your day job look like? Do you just sit in GitHub, like looking at repos all day? Like, obviously there's programs and stuff, but I'm curious to know like what your, what your day typically looks like. Yeah, so I'm kind of a strange one in that I'm both like a program manager and an engineer. Sure. Um, I honestly spend a lot of time coding right now. I don't think I should be like, you know, it's so much fun to be in the code all the time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm really great at breaking the builds and doing all sorts of things that yeah. I shouldn't do. Um, you know, I think when I look at what the Open Source Programs Office does, uh, we're part of one engineering system, mm -hmm. which, you know, our goal is like, let's give Microsoft Teams the best tools they can oh, have. Yeah. And whether that's GitHub or Azure DevOps, um, you know, all those things are there. Um, but in terms of like what we're doing, like, you know, we have a, an email in the inside the company where all sorts of open source questions have, you know, kind of come in. So... I'm helping triage that. I'm trying to connect people. We have meetings about everything from open source security to licensing. Uh, kind of like just a big 
melding of the minds there, I guess. Lots of kind of exciting recurring meetings on that. But a lot of the tools that I spend my days are, um, it's just trying to like kind of get a handle on the scale of open source. Sure. So it's things like our scanners to find all the licenses in open source and understand like how compatible they are or if there's risks there. It's things like managing vulnerabilities. Um, it's it's getting teams to adopt, you know, like there's GitHub advanced security now. Yep. So we're trying to make sure that like teams aren't committing secrets in, in their open source code. You know, all those things like is a big part of what what I do. And specifically one of the things I've done is built our management portal for GitHub. Mm-hmm. And so everyone that comes to the company, uh, traditionally if you're using GitHub, you have to go and ask someone, hey, can I get an invitation to the GitHub organization? Yep. And and that's great, but it doesn't really scale to, you know, what's now for us over 35,000 people on GitHub at Microsoft. And so we had to find a way to make it, you know, self-service. I helped build this portal, which is a, you know, it's a Node.js-based portal. It's, yep. it's pretty cool. Um, it looks and feels like GitHub. Uh, and so, like, I'm basically the engineer for that today. And I hope more people will help me with that at some point. <laughs> sure. But, you know, it's really helping, you know, just scale GitHub to work with a lot of folks. Yeah. And I don't know if you're familiar with the, the Bedlam history. Um, Bedlam was yes, like the email Microsoft Exchange yeah. thing that happened yeah. a long time ago. And we've had several versions of this happen on GitHub recently. Um, yeah, like last week, as right? we get, There's one like last week? Yeah. 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 So, so, you know, the reality is like after that, we kind of have the, you know, this oh crap moment where it's, let's go look at what happened. Like, what can yeah. we do to prevent this from happening again? How can we educate people? Uh, can we work with the GitHub team to see if maybe they have a way to improve this? So like, yeah. I think it's awesome that we're connected with that, but I think every day is different as a result because, you know, it's not always putting out what it does feel like it sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it is really funny because obviously going probably a bit meta here is that like we're very dependent, Microsoft is very dependent on GitHub as an entity because it's, you know, to be fair, it's the place where developers like they learn and play and all that stuff. Um, They're also like a a part of the greater, you know, Microsoft organization to an extent, right? Uh, Like they're their own separate company, but like we're very much intertwined, right? And I think one of the things that's very interesting to me to hear from you is like when we work with GitHub folks, right? Like obviously there's collaboration there, but I think a lot of times too, and I would love to hear your thoughts about, you have a conversation with somebody at GitHub and they're like, well, we don't really think about it like that, you know, cause you're probably thinking about it from like a Microsoft angle and they're thinking of it from a GitHub angle. Like, you know, how is that collaboration, right? Cause you probably work with GitHub folks a lot. Yeah, well, I, I'm really proud of how we've kept the companies very separate. And I actually think it's probably frustrating to traditional Microsoft employees because sure. yeah. they want to get directly connected. Like, who's the dev that wrote that line in GitHub? Yeah. And, and the reality is we don't really make that connection very often um, because it is very separate. And I think we know that we need to respect GitHub quite a bit. Yeah. Um, if I look like internally, though, you know, I, I can imagine this worst case scenario, which is traditional Microsoft <laughs> 10 years ago, if we took something like GitHub, all of a sudden, I'd imagine, you know, like it would light up with like Microsoft Teams links and sign in here and yep. connect your Azure account. Yep. And, you know, don't forget to, you know, go use Microsoft Bob or whatever else. Sure. You know, there's all those integrations that just don't necessarily make sense. You know, yep. GitHub is something that we have to respect. Um, so I'm really glad that, that that is there and in place. Um, at the same time, I think that at Microsoft, we're using GitHub at a scale that a lot of companies aren't. Sure. And so I do think like we have a lot to teach GitHub. I have like there's a repo where I have a lot of issues that I've opened <laughs> where it's like, Hey, this would be an awesome feature that would really help us at scale. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of work there, yeah. uh, which I think is great. Um, you know, it, it is interesting, like just kind of looking at what happens, you know, people do accidentally publish things that they don't want to be public yeah. um, right before build. You know, we've had teams that someone goes to submit a pull request with like a new product 
name or something. Yeah. And then they're like, how do I get this pull request deleted? And the answer is, well, it's GitHub. It's public. Like, it's out there. I now. mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you can you can make it disappear, but it's always like, you know, the Wayback Internet machine is still going to hold on to it, right, forever. I mean, yeah. one of the things that I think that um, I think was very interesting, like when when we made, when Microsoft made the announcement that we were acquiring GitHub, I think the overall consensus was like, oh, well, GitHub is going to turn into, you know, GitHub, you know, 365, whatever, right? Like some new Microsoft product, right? And I, I told people, I was like, no, it's not about that because, like, you don't want to, you don't want to discredit the work that GitHub has done to, you know, build this community of awesome folks. Um, but what you do want to do is, is find strategic opportunities to make it easier to go from one place to another, right? Like you see things like, for instance, in the Azure portal now, you can log in with a GitHub alias or, you know, you can easily interface, you know, your GitHub apps with Azure and, you know, GitHub Actions having all these different integrations with Azure. Like, it's just one of these things where you just look at pieces to connect that make sense for developers, right? Uh, and, you know, let people make their choices about what they want to do and what they don't want to do. Like, to be to be completely clear, like, GitHub, like, their goal is every developer, right? Microsoft's goal is every developer, but GitHub also is, like, Every developer who works on Azure, every developer who also works at AWS, on AWS and GCP and, you know, Bob server, right? I think, you know, the the potential, like, even though the, the same um, targets are the same, like, the, the reach is a bit different, right? I think that's probably a better way to say it. And I think one of the things I really, really love about what we're, what Microsoft and GitHub are doing together is, like, subtle, in it, like, the subtle integrations that I mentioned, right? Like, do I want like a call me on teams button inside of the GitHub portal? Like, no, I don't want that. But like, I'd imagine that eventually we'll see more and more integrations that like make them very, very, you know, not, I guess not tightly coupled, but more integrations to make them even more easily accessible from one another. Yeah. Well, so I'm not a spokesperson. Sure. I'm not a salesperson, but like, I have to imagine if you're a company today and you have a relationship with Microsoft, um, and you're using, you know, what, whatever subscription product you may have. Like, I imagine there's a GitHub salesperson right there yeah. helping you too, because I think the reality is it's it's where, it's not just where open source happens, it's where a lot of engineering happens. Yeah. And so I think a lot of companies want to use GitHub. People want to use GitHub, they're really familiar with it. Yeah. And so I think that's great that people have that option. And and I, I hope more people use, you know, use it. It's, it's such a popular product and it does keep getting better. Yeah, one of the things that I'm I'm very fortunate to do at my job at Microsoft is I talk with folks, I talk with our customers. We have this thing called EBCs, which are like executive briefing committees, right? So people have, like people uh, from the field or Microsoft like sales and technical resources, they'll bring in their customers to talk with Microsoft folks about, you know, how to better what they're doing using our tools and services. And I've, you know, I've had lots of conversations with people during these EBC sessions where, you know, how do we, how do we use GitHub? Like, you know, we're, we've been a Microsoft shop for 20 years, 30 years. Like, how do we like take that next step? How do we use GitHub? And my question, my first question is, well, do you have a GitHub organization? Like how often do, how often do you think about having the work that you're doing out in the open? And usually like, you know, the answer to this being somebody who worked in a closed door tech company, like, oh no, no, we don't, no, no, we don't do that. 
but we want we want like we want github we we want to have like all that great stuff because we hear it's so great but we haven't decided to make the culture change yet right and that's something that i always think is very very fascinating like you have this conversation like with devops too for instance right people need to change the way their companies culture and the way their companies operate to better adapt to adopt get uh, devops and same thing with open source and i'm always very curious to know like what are your thoughts like you probably get opportunities to talk with customers too it's like you know when you talk with customers is it how can i best leverage this thing that i see that microsoft owns or is it i want access to that community because it's going to better the work that we do at my company yeah, well, I would say it's a lot of things there. Yeah. Um, I, I totally love going to an EBC. Um, sometimes I feel like the the product teams may not want to invite me back because one sure. of the things I think yeah, we yeah. do in EBC is we, we like to share what we do. Yeah. And I feel like whenever I share like our, our the tooling that we built around open source and governance and making it easy, um, the typical customer says, I want that right now. Yeah. Like, I want everything you just showed me. Um, and so it ends up being like a whole bunch of follow-up meetings because customers... They want these tools. Yep. And I do love the fact that a lot of our tools are open source. And so often the outcome is, well, actually go to this you know, repo and go use it. And there's other companies today using a lot of tools we built, which is awesome. Um, but, I, but I do think in terms of like what customers look at on kind of the GitHub and the open source piece is, you know, I think they were just afraid for a long time. Yep. I think everyone had the same concerns that there's some boogeyman out there. And, yeah. and that's not really the case. And so, you know, I think people understanding that Microsoft is using open source we're doing the right thing. Um, a couple of years ago, we went through a process to be what's called open chain certified. Okay. And there's some long ISO something number now that that covers this, but essentially our entire program has a certain set of things we do that makes really kind of large customers very happy. Yeah. And so it's things like, you know, we review the licenses that they're compatible. We do the right obligations, like releasing source code when we need to. Mm-hmm. And we have a way to like understand vulnerabilities, like all that's part of being open chain certified. And it's really kind of a great thing that we can point customers at because not only is Microsoft's program certified, but also then they want to be certified. They want access to the same kind of style of tools and they know that it's safe and possible. So I feel really good when customers see that. And sometimes they just need to hear like, oh yes, Microsoft is using tens or hundreds of thousands of open source components. Totally fine, totally safe. Um, There's precautions you can take. There's involvement you should have and you should just embrace the communities. Like those are messages we try to send teams. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is a, a good time. We have another question in chat kind of about, like, you know, amplification of repos that maybe you use or you've heard of, right? So, like, what are some, like, you know, off the top, it doesn't have to be a Microsoft organization ones, but, like, what are some repos that you've come across recently that you've been like, oh, that's really, really cool, like, and you've learned a little bit more about it and maybe had an opportunity to talk with the computer? Like, what are some examples that, that you can bring up? So I think the, the best one that I'm using recently is React Query. I think I mentioned Um, it was created by someone named Tanner Lindsay and it's this amazing way. It's like one of two very popular ways in react to kind of offer like a caching tier that works great. And I remember early, I was kind of looking at these things, comparing them. I'm like, Oh, I guess I'll try react query. I built a react app with it, which is my first time ever doing that. And I was talking to an engineering team and they're like, Hey, like, you know, I really like some of the work you've done. Like uh, we're looking at some other stuff here. Like what are some of the libraries you're using? I said, react query. They're like, yes, that's awesome. I love it too. Like, I, I just had no idea. Like, I didn't know how popular it was. And now, like, there's this whole conversation happening with these teams. Like, can we share some more code together? Like, what are some things you built on top of React Query? And do you have components that I can share? Um, so I think it's awesome that, like, that has kind of come out of just 
the shared awareness of like, oh, we're using the same kind of popular components that work great and save you a lot of time. Um, other things, you know, there, there's there's so many libraries that um, I, I feel like I've contributed like tiny fixes to. Like sure. my GitHub profile is amazing, but like I absolutely do get out there and contribute where I can. Um, another one that I, I really use quite a bit is OctoKit. Yeah. Uh, it's the kind of yeah. official GitHub you know, REST API library. And this one changes all the time because it's always being improved. Yep. But I find that as long as I keep up with it, with things like breaking changes, like it's an amazing library. It's always up to date. Um, and it's a lot of fun to like work with people on that for sure. Yeah, I, I love OctoKit too. Like it's one of those things where it's like, is there like, it's one of those things where uh, a tool ends up becoming like the de facto use of a mechanism, right? Like the GitHub API, like, you know, there are miscellaneous different ways to work against the GitHub API. And like, I think a lot of the, the documentation now, like on GitHub, like they reference like OctoKit snippets and things like that, which I think is very, very funny. Like the fact that like, hey, to interface with our APIs, like use this third party, like SDK. Like that's super exciting to me because that shows like, look, why, why would we want to build something if something awesome already exists that we can just continue to help improve, right? Um, I mean, that's, yeah. that's a really, really good call out. Mine um, that I love to talk about, like I mentioned that I have, uh, like I built this app that basically broadcasts your team's presence to different smart lights. And when I was getting started initially, like my first thought was like, okay, well, like, what are some lights that I have in my house at the time I had just Philips Hue? And I'm like, okay, well, there has to be something that allows me to interface with Philips Hue lights easily. Um, and yeah, there there is a GitHub uh, project called Q42.HUHAPI, which I just put in the chat. And I think it allows you to like from, this is for C Sharp, obviously, it gives you the the full experience of interfacing with Philips Hue lights. And again, like if I had to do that, like I, I'm not a very, I don't want to say I'm a very great developer. Like I'm not going to work with sockets or network discovery and all these things. And this, this gentleman who I've, I've worked with a few times, it, it's, he just makes it very, very easy. And like he and I talk all the time about like, Oh, like it'd be great if you added like this one little thing to yours. And he's like, yeah, no, like I see what you're doing over here. Like, let's see. And there's collaboration there. And I think that's really exciting to your point that you made a bit earlier about when you come to new projects that are maintained by like one or two people and you say, hey, I'm using this. I love it. I, you know, it's very, very helpful for me. Like they immediately light up and they want to help you typically and help and have conversations because they're very passionate about it because they built it in their spare time usually. Um, it's one of those things where I think it's why open source maintainers do do what they do, because a lot of their work, a lot of the interface of the community is negative, to be completely fair, or critical. It's like, hey, this doesn't work. Here's a bug. Or, hey, this I want this feature. Make this feature. So, right? Snap your fingers. And not very often they get, this is great. Five stars. Awesome. And I think that there's a lot of emphasis on that, where it's like, if I can just get one positive piece of feedback today, that'll keep me going for the next like two weeks. Right. Um, and that kind of goes back to what I said a little bit earlier about like people treating like open source in general and GitHub repos as a commodity. It's like, Hey, this thing doesn't work for me. I'm either going to not use it and try to find something else, or I'm going to open some issues of like things that I think that they could do. And my response always well, is, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I, and my, I was just going to close and saying like, the number one thing that you can do to help an open source maintainer 
is have an open conversation with them. And, and if you can contribute, contribute. Like issues are, are great, but issues out of context aren't. So yeah. um, now GitHub Discussions allows you to have conversations instead of, you know, trying to figure out, a, like trying to build a conversation inside of an issue log. Um, so like tools are coming to make it easier for maintainers and community to be uh, more collaborative. Yeah, so I would say in this, so I, I love the home automation space as well. Yeah. Um, I don't have presence indicators, but um, you know, I think if I look at how I spend kind of my, my free coding yeah. time, uh, it's really changed. And so, you know, a couple of years ago, I think I would jump into a project at kind of a low level. I'd mm -hmm. be like, I want to go interface with my receiver. Yeah. How do I do that? Let me go learn about it and I go build something. Well, you know, now I know, you know, you start with the open source, like has it already been done? Yeah. And there's one project called Homebridge that I yeah. use. Um, Homebridge, you know, interface basically between the Apple HomeKit with all the other things. Yeah. And I was just trying to like get it to work with my receiver for like some additional zones and it wasn't in the library. So I opened a pull request and I added it. And, you know, like 30 minutes later, there's someone on there like, oh, I'm so excited. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, someone didn't have the hardware to test it before. It's great. You do. They mm -hmm. merged it. I'm using this now. Like, I just love it that that works where the community comes together. Um, but then you're a little bit right. Like, when I look at the GitHub issues on that same thing, like, a lot of people just maybe getting started yep. and they're like, you know, this thing, I get this error message or whatever. Yep. And it is hard to know how to support that and make the community work because not everyone has the same shared understanding and, and kind of expertise. Yeah. And speaking as, as somebody who like they're one person who manages a repository, I don't have other people that help me out. Like one or two people have opened up pull requests, but like the amount of bugs that I ship when I bring in something new is so damn high, right? Like every, it feels like every single time I make like a major commit commit that does stuff like the same, like five or six issues come back and like, yes, it's probably on me to be a bit more resilient with my testing. But I think there's always this thing too, where it's like, yeah, mistakes are going to happen. Like, I think it was called out, you know, earlier in chat. And I think you even said it as well, where it's like mistakes, like your mistakes are in the open too. And just, you have to just deal with your mistakes and be okay with it. I think that's a mindset that I think is hard for developers a lot because, you know, most developers are very critical of what the work they're doing, what the work, other work of others are doing. And, you know, when I first got started in open source, I don't know if you felt this way, but like, you mean everybody can like look at my code and like tell me it sucks? Like that's not ideal for me at all. Um, so like, yeah. like how, do you, how do you, you know, manage that, right? Um, and maybe it's just you have a personality trait where you're just like, yeah, whatever. But like, I'm, I'm curious to know, like as somebody who has committed to open source and you contribute as well, like what is that feedback loop for you? Like how do you experience that feedback loop? Yeah, well, I, I don't have all old stories, but yeah. many years ago I built, I built a phone app. And as part of that, I decided, well, for all the server backend, I'm going to open source it all yep. because who cares essentially? Like sure. why not be open? Yep. Why not show it? And as part of that, I built a library that does like push notification integration. Yep. And it was written in node early days of node. Um, back when the version started in zero, I think. And basically, I, I wrote this library. It worked for me. And I just kind of went, went on with my life, I guess. Yep. And a couple years later, I learned that people at Microsoft were using the library in like some server code talking to Windows devices. Oh. And I just had super interesting conversations because people were like, hey, Jeff, can you fix this bug? I'm like, wait a minute. Like, yeah. This project was actually a hobby project. You'll see that copyrights my name. I didn't do it on work equipment or at work. Like It was, it was a hobby. They're like, oh, so who who do I talk to to fix it? I'm like, well, you can fork it. And you can contribute whatever you want to this. 
um, you know, it's kind of fun just helping people understand, no, no, like open source is it's available, but you know, it doesn't always mean it's supported. Um, so that, that's kind of an early learning on that. I'll say what we're learning at, at the company now is that uh, working in the open is fine, but I think a lot of people are afraid to do it. And so I've met teams that absolutely start with a private repo on GitHub. They say, I'm going to open source this next month. And, you know, you go back in two months, it's still private. Sure. There's all sorts of activity happening, but I think people are, they're kind of afraid of showing the work. And so I think we're trying to help people understand, you know, no, you need to get it over the finish line or, or just work and open from the beginning. Um, we technically want almost all of our private repos to actually go public within 30 days because we want to help people kind of get that push out the door. Sure. Uh, and so I think just helping teams, you know, it's okay and like mistakes might happen, but, you know, in the end, people will help you. Um, it's a great way to stay in touch with people. And I, I think even in Microsoft, teams often, I think, when you work in the open, they're more willing to contribute. And so, you know, there's concepts of inner source. You know, I can go to another team's repo. I can go look at the Windows source code uh, as a Microsoft employee, but contributing to it is really hard. Yeah. But if yeah. it's an open source public repo, I don't feel so bad about, you know, forking and opening a pull request. I can go make suggestions to teams or update the docs. That's awesome. So yeah. I think just helping people understand you might make mistakes, but it's totally fine. Go do it. That's really what we're here for, for sure. Yeah. And for the, and for folks who don't know, the name of that app is called Fourth and Mayor. So we, we, somebody asked, when is it, when is the next version coming? (laughs) (laughs) That'll be a long wait. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Uh, I I imagine that you probably have uh, more fascinating things to work with. You know, you bring something up that I think is, that that was a windows phone app. I will say. Yeah. Yeah. So Uh, rest in peace. One thing that I think that you brought up that we haven't talked about um, as we're trying to wrap up, I think is really important is you mentioned, you mentioned docs, right? And, I got started in open source contributing to docs, right? That was like, that's my origin story. Like I had a friend who um, was joining Microsoft at the time before I joined Microsoft and they were joining the docs team. And basically he was talking about how great his experience was. Like he got a job at Microsoft because like he was doing all this stuff in the open on GitHub, working on miscellaneous things. And, uh, and I was like, that is really cool. Like, and at this time I had been like, what, uh, you know, folks like Scott Hanselman or whoever will say is like a dark matter developer. Like I just like ate, 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 ate all this work of other people and never gave back. And I had to have this epiphany where it's like, I, I feel like it's my turn. So I started contributing to docs and I fell in love with the concept of collaborating across different companies and doing and talking about things I really enjoyed. And I think that's a really, really good thing to point out is like, that's a great entry in open source for people. If you have mm-hmm. concerns about, you know, contributing to, like a very well-established project, for instance, like that maybe you use and you're comfortable working with it, but maybe not comfortable enough to contribute and follow all their guidelines and all that. Like I've had this conversation multiple times on this, on this chat, on the stream. People always take help when docs, like always take help. Like even, even if you're just going to like, you know, edit, making sure that there's no typos and things like that. Like people will take that free work every single day of the week. So I always tell people, please, if you feel passionate about a particular technology and you want to give back, but you're a little bit concerned about what you can do, like docs are a very, very easy place to go. And Microsoft docs, obviously, I don't know, like on the the level of like, you know, GitHub commits per day and anything like that, like where it stands. But I imagine it's very, very high, right? Between all the people that work on docs at Microsoft and all the community people that contribute to docs on Microsoft, like, commits are and tons of commits a day and i'd like to know your thoughts yeah. just about you know 
how can people get started contributing? Is is Docs the easiest way? Is going and um, you know having conversations with contributors? Is it a little bit of everything? Like, what are your thoughts? Well, so first I'll say that uh, we actually have a browser extension that that I built that lets you install on your browser to see essentially like is someone a Microsoft employee yep. or are they a community member? I use it. And it's something I use it. <laughs> excellent. Thank you. Uh, I think it's so awesome to go to something like you know .NET or a docs you know the docs.microsoft repos and actually see like how many people are at the company, how many people are from the community because there is such like a split there. Yep. Uh, it's really awesome that there is so much community work happening. Um, I think for me. You know, I very much think that um, if I look at like the actual internal guidance we have for teams today, one of the first things you can do is just go monitor, you know, you know, a, what is it? Watch a repo. Yeah. And so just seeing like, are people active? Are they discussing? Um, jump into conversations like those are all easy ways to get started. And, you know, it's a way that's not, you know, you don't get too involved in it. And then you choose when you want to get involved, whether it's, you know, reviewing pull requests or opening your own. Um, I do think one of, one of the things I think is interesting to think about when we look at kind of the industry, uh, as we're trying to get more you know, diverse talent into it, though, is that it is kind of a luxury to be able to contribute to open source. And so some teams for a long time, people would come in saying, look at this amazing GitHub profile I have. Please hire me. Yep. And I actually think not everyone has the, the luxury of time to go do that open source work in their free time. And so that's one way that I actually think corporate involvement in open source is a key thing. Because as we hire people, people have busy lives today. But if your day job is contributing to open source, it means we have people that for the first time might have time to go contribute to open source uh, through their job. So I think that's awesome that people have that on-ramp essentially. Yeah, I think that's, it, it, it's funny too, cause I imagine, I don't know what the number is, but the more people that like, everybody that's like, how am I gonna phrase this? When people are hired, I think a lot of, one of the things that they probably come into when they first join a company is like, okay, well, here are all the things that we use that we build and like you look at it it's like okay well you kind of just built the top layer on top of a bunch of stuff right we've talked about this a lot like building on top of, of different things and i wonder like you know there's numbers about like how much open source is used across companies right like that those numbers are out there to some extent but i'm always curious about like what that experience is maybe if you're joining a new company and you're like oh like you use a lot of open source like i always like i wonder if that's in exciting for people when they first join? I guess it really depends on what your thoughts about open source are. But I'm always, like one of the things I'm always thinking about is like when people are newly introduced to open source, what their initial take is on it. Because there are a lot of people out there that they work maybe in a very niche area where there's just not a lot of open source work in that particular space. I can't think of a good one anymore, but maybe 10 years ago there was. Um, I'd like to get your thoughts, like as we close, like, you know, how can we... How can we take advantage of the work that everybody's doing in open source in a more impactful way? And I know that's a huge question and we only have a few minutes left, but like, I kind of want to get your thoughts as somebody, you know, works on open source as a living, works at a big tech company who, you know, really cares about open source. Like, what can people that are maybe outside of Microsoft do or outside of, even at Microsoft that are kind of outside of the open source initiatives that we have, like, what can we do better to, you know, strengthen the open source community? Well, I really think the, the biggest thing we can do is keep using it. Yeah. And, you know, I think if I look at, you know, that, that question that does come into like, I'm joining a, the team, there's a whole bunch of new source code here. If you're using things like Redis and you're using React and you're using really, you know, popular open source components, that means you can go hire someone that's familiar with them. Yep. And it's such a game changer. I think looking back at my earlier part of, you know, engineering career, like 
you would come in and every team, it's a new tool set. It's a new build experience. It's a new kind of stack. And, you know, someone might see something like Zookeeper and they say, I want Zookeeper. And there was kind of a tendency to go build it yourself again. And so maybe that was a great way to get a promotion in the past is I'm going to go build that same technology internally, but why not just go, you know, use Zookeeper directly? So I I think in a lot of ways, like people understand that like the more people using a a component, the better you're going to get kind of this virtuous cycle of contribution that happens. And, and that's great for everyone. And then if you do decide like, you know, Microsoft's a great place. I'm not thinking of leaving, but yeah. maybe tomorrow Google is a great place to go yeah. work. And you know, Google uses open source too. So hopefully a ton of that would transition as I make that change. Or if I want to go start something new, I can hire a bunch of folks that you know I think have the whatever it takes to go build that company. And we can use all those same open source tools we're already familiar with. And so yeah. it's just it's such a way to like hit the ground running. And so I think you know, just using open source and hopefully contributing back, of course, is just going to help everyone do better and kind of like you look at the tide lift thing, yep. you know, bring everyone up as everyone participates. Yeah, that's that's a great way to close too. It's like just keep using it, and it's only going to grow. Like it's it's one of those things where organic, like the only way this stuff works is via organic growth. Like no amount of money that Microsoft or Google or Amazon or IBM or any other company, like the, like the money that you put into it, like it's not going to like really affect it in the long term. It's all about adoption. So. I, I think that's really, really important that you called out. So as we close, Jeff, again, I want to thank you so much for hopping on and chatting with me. I think this is a great conversation. I'm always excited to hear about, you know, different points of view from open source. Like you have a very interesting career in open source, I think, that, and that, you know, I think our whole audience, you know, hope they resonate with them. When we uh, finish up the stream, I usually like to ask my guests, like if they can think of open source or technology in general in one word, what would that word be to you? Oh, wow. That's a great way to end yeah. a hard question. Yeah, I know. And we only have a little bit of time left, so you can just punt it or you can just say something easy like community because that's what a lot of people say. Well, I would say optimism. Optimism. That's good. Yeah, that feels like a... I think that's yeah. I think that's fair for a lot of reasons because, you know, we are so dependent on open source. And I think also that open source is very dependent on us. So there has to be this, like, you have to be... You have to be thinking about only good that can happen when you talk about those two things. I think that's a great example. I haven't we haven't heard that one yet. We had similar ones of like positivity and things like that, but I think the cautious optimism approach I think is is super exciting, and I'm excited to learn more. Um, for folks that you know want to you know tune in to Jeff and what he's talking about, you know at Jeff Wilcox on Twitter, um, you know take full advantage of all the great stuff that he's doing and showcasing at Microsoft. I want to thank you again, Jeff, for coming on like i said this is great and to everybody tuned in enjoy the rest of your day and we'll chat soon bye-bye thanks a lot isaac